Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. And I encourage you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bible or in a Bible. There are some Bibles like this on the cart back there, and it's on page 953 in this particular copy. We continue through finishing 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. If you drove here this morning and drove through the town of Sycamore down State Street, uh, you would have seen, on, I guess that'd be the north side of the road, a site that is pretty common in a lot of towns and cities in our country, namely a church building that has been repurposed. In this case, uh, it's a museum. And that's a pretty common thing that we see, uh, church buildings that have been repurposed into shops or restaurants or sometimes residences or even sometimes you see a church building that is now another kind of place of worship, maybe a, a, a mosque or a, a Buddhist or a Hindu temple. And although as Christians and as students of the Bible, we know that the church is not a building. I hope that's clear to us this morning. I think that's one of the blessings of meeting in a space that is not a designed church space. We are reminded every Sunday morning that the church is not walls, but the church is God's people gathered, those who are the disciples of Jesus, those who have found a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. We know that. And yet when we see a church building that has, uh, is no longer housing a worshiping congregation, that, that's a disturbing sight for God's people. Because we realize that although Christ was once worshipped there, and the gospel was once proclaimed from that pulpit, it is no longer. And we can't help but ask the question, what happened? Well, our text this morning, I think, tells us what is very likely has happened in many of those cases. Namely, that those who worship there, that though they were God's people, though that they were truly disciples of Jesus, they didn't take care how they built Christ's church. Rather than building the church on that which will last through eternity, they built the church on lesser materials. And as a result, that particular church, that particular manifestation of the body of Christ no longer exists. Now, we're in this section in 1 Corinthians where pretty much from the beginning of the book, Paul has been laying out his critique of a particular church gathered, the Church of Christ in the city of Corinth some 2,000 or so years ago. And as we read through and as we study through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, in particular in these opening chapters, we're, we're learning a lot about the nature of the local church. Last week, our theme from the first nine verses of chapter 3 was that by understanding God's way of growing his church, namely trusting in his power, his church is enabled to... Uh, Individual Christians in his church are enabled to grow spiritually. And we looked at, at two pictures of the church that Paul gave us. First, that from human development, uh, talking about the difference between sort of being a baby Christian and a mature Christian, one who can, can take in the solid food of God's word and the mysteries of the gospel. And he also gave us the example from farming or agriculture, that of, of planting and watering and God causing the church to grow. 
Well, this week's theme is similar in the terms of talking about the local church and its growth and its development. And this week, the analogy or the metaphor comes from the the realm of building construction. Paul is going to take off where he left off. If you look at the end of verse 9, verse 9, God, or Paul talking about himself and Apollo said, we, he said of himself and Apollos, we are God's fellow workers. You, church, are God's field. You are God's building. And now Paul is going to take that picture of the church, the local church, as a building And he's going to run with that. And as he does, he's going to show us what it means to build on the foundation of Christ and build with materials that will last to eternity. And so we need to be aware, first of all, that the church is God's building. We're looking at a picture, and I know we can get mixed up because we call church buildings churches. Paul is using the the picture of a building, walls, foundation, as a picture of the church, of of the body of Christ, of the people of God gathered in a local place at a particular time. Now, as we get into this passage, there are are a couple of assumptions that I I feel like I need to not so much assume. The first one I think, actually, we can assume. uh, Because the assumption here is that uh, Paul is talking about local churches, local congregations. He doesn't, in our text, ever use the word church. But remember that we're only into chapter 3, and Paul wrote all of 1 Corinthians as one letter, one text, one body of writing, and so uh, we need to understand the context in which he's writing, which he's clearly writing this to a particular local church. So what he's talking about applies to the church gathered, the, the church particular, the church local. Of course, the church of Jesus Christ is all believers everywhere who have trusted in him and been united to him through faith. That is the church universal. That is the church Catholic with a small c, the universal church. But that has always worked out in particular expressions of the church in particular places during particular times in history. And so we receive this word this morning as a local church, as Kishwaukee Bible Church. And and that is the assumption that I think maybe we can't make and I want to make more explicit this morning. Because there's another underlying assumption under the receiving of this text, and, and I think the Spirit's giving us of this word this morning. And it is that believers care about the health and condition of the church, manifested locally in the as the church that they are a part of, and that they're not only interested in what's best for them individually or or me or my family, but they care about what is best for the body as a whole, the church community, and that believers are gathered in local churches are even willing to forgo some of their own personal rights and desires for the good of the entire body. That's assumed in this text. That that my needs individually may not be as important as the needs of my brothers and sisters gathered corporately and united to carry out God's work as a local church. And the reason I say that we can't assume that is because that is very much antithetical to our culture. And I think we need to realize and recognize this morning as Paul was trying to help the 
Corinthians understand how much they were influenced by their culture, I think we need to recognize how much we are influenced by our culture in terms of our understanding of the local church and how we live in the local church as individual believers and as families. In particular, I want to point out three isms in our culture that I think we need to be aware of as we think about this text, not so much from an individual standpoint, but from a, a group, congregational, corporate standpoint. The first ism is materialism. These are, these are the things that, that drive us, generally speaking, in our culture. These, these are the, the underlying, assumptions, underlying assumptions of our culture that we are, we are influenced by. And the first one is materialism. It is, is the love of and the worship of stuff. I mean, is there any doubt in our minds that this is the, the God of our world? Stuff. Gathering more things, accumulating things, defining myself, creating meaning by the stuff I have, which leads to the second ism, consumerism. Because in order to get the stuff that's going to define who I am, I need purchasing power. And I can create meaning and I can even reinvent myself based on, on what I purchase or what I consume. Ferris Bueller said, quoting John Lennon, that he didn't believe in isms. He only believed in himself. Well, Ferris, you just stated the third ism. Individualism. So that's sort of the, 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 you kind of take materialism, add some consumerism, and then make it all about me and my rights and how I want to create my own meaning. And, and this is sort of the air we breathe, and this is the water that we drink in our culture. And I think we need to be aware of it as we run against a text that very much addresses us as a body, as a group, as the church corporate. This passage is not going to make sense unless the health and the strength of the entire body of Christ is as important or is more important than my individual perceived needs. And so this morning, I want us to, to ask the Spirit to help us to see this passage from, from a church context. I understand that each of us is responsible to respond to God's word individually. But in this case, our individual response has much to do with how we respond and how we understand the church body gathered. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 23 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Paul writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is God's holy word, and God, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, we, your temple, may have the ears to hear and the eyes to see and the hearts to, to understand and the wills to respond, not only as individuals this morning, but to see your word as, as a body. As a body, Lord, that you have sovereignly gathered in this place for a mission that you have for Kishwaukee Bible Church. Lord, we thank you for your favor uh, to this church over the years. This is uh, 23 years in the making, Lord, and, and we celebrate your grace. And Lord, we also look forward to what you want to do for your glory, for your name in this place. Mold us more and more into the shape and the image of Christ, that we may reflect him to a world that needs to know him and needs to be reconciled to you through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want us to look at three truths about the nature of Christ's church. Following Paul's analogy of construction here this morning, three truths and in three responses that God has for us as a church body. And the first truth is this, that the foundation of the building, remember Paul's using an analogy of, of construction, of, of building a building, which is the local church. The foundation of the building is Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the first six verses, 10 through 15. And Paul begins this section in verse 10, again recalling his initial ministry there among the Corinthians, how he came there with the gospel. He says, by the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and now someone else is building it. Paul said, I was the foundational uh, minister. I was the foundational gospel proclaimer, and we've, we've reviewed that several times. Paul's church planting, gospel preaching ministry that he arrived in Corinth and began to speak the gospel, and people began to come to faith. And when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, they don't just get individually saved. They, they're adopted into God's family, and they become part of the church, and they're enfolded into local churches. And, and Paul says, I did that as 
as acting out of the grace that God had given me. Um, certainly Paul and gives, or certainly God gives great, gave grace to Paul and to all who are believers, grace that is saving grace. But here Paul is speaking more specifically about the grace of apostleship or the, the spiritual gift of apostleship that he was given, that, that the Lord Jesus called him particularly to speak the gospel, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul carried that out. He said he was a steward of the mysteries of God about Christ, going from place to place. And, and he says, I faithfully came and I did that. And I laid that foundation as a, as a skilled master builder, or uh, the, the, the word there is, is literally the word architect. I was, I was like the chief engineer in, in setting things up as I came to you to preach the gospel. And now someone else is building on that foundation. My time with you, I moved on, Apollos came in for a time, and now there are others who are building on the foundation that I laid. And Paul says, I, I want to make... I want there to be no doubt at all what the foundation of the church is, what the foundation of your church is, what the foundation of every church is. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And there is no other foundation. And so if the foundation is anything other than Jesus Christ, then that's not a true church. But because the foundation is Jesus Christ, those who build on that foundation need to take care. Notice he says in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse, uh, we're still in verse 10, the end of verse 10. Notice he says, let each one take care. Let each one take heed. Let each one pay attention how he or she builds upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to list different building materials, again, using this picture, this metaphor of building, different building materials that could be used to build upon the, uh, the foundation of Jesus Christ, to build the church. And he lists six different building materials. Six different building materials, but really there, there are two categories or two groups. There's the first three are a group, gold and silver and precious stones. Wood, hay, and straw are a second group. And the big difference between those two groups is one will last and one will not. If fire hits the building, if fire hits this building, the bleachers are going to be gone, uh, the wood floor is going to be gone, I don't know what's in behind the drywall there, if it's wood, it's going to be gone, a lot of stuff's going to be gone, but, uh, but the stones, the masonry will be here. Uh, I don't know if there's anything made here out of gold and silver in this particular building, uh, but if, it, if there were, it would still be here. And so Paul's point is you need to build, with the, build the church with things that are permanent, that will last. And Paul says that what isn't permanent will be revealed by fire. And, and that's not just a metaphor in terms of building here. But Paul is thinking about the fire of judgment. He's thinking about Isaiah 66, which says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire, the Lord will enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. It's what Paul was referring to when he wrote about Jesus returning and the final judgment to the church at, Th the, at Thessalonica. 
when he said this, and the Lord Jesus, when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, will come in flaming fire to inflict vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment and eternal destruction. Consistently throughout Scripture, the picture of the final judgment has the images of fire and flame, of being consumed. They will suffer punishment and eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, eternal punishment, that is hell, away from the glory of God's might. When Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, among his holy ones, and to be revealed among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And so Paul is writing very seriously. In fact, this whole passage is a very serious passage. It's a series of three warnings. And Paul is saying, and God is saying to us, that there is something coming that day when Jesus returns. And that day will bring about the judgment. And so when Paul is talking here about fire that will reveal, that will burn up what is not real and will reveal what is real, uh, he's talking about two outcomes here. For those, there's a reward for Christians who build the church on lasting materials. But for Christians who build the church on flammable materials, though they are saved, uh, they will be saved smelling like smoke, Paul says. They will be saved, but as those who, who just got out of the building in time, their clothes singed, as it were, uh, smelling like the flames that nearly consumed them. Again, Paul is talking to believers here, but he's saying if as believers, if as a church, if as people who do missions, you, you build that on something that, that isn't the true gospel, if you build into people and you aren't building into them with that which will last, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the fellowship of God's people, the work of the Spirit, if you're building ministries, if you're building churches on anything other than that, you don't know, you don't know that those people will last. You don't know if it's real. Yes, you're a true believer, Paul says, and you will be saved, but it's only, only as those going through fire. But if you do build with the true materials of the gospel, then there's a reward. And Paul chooses that, that term very carefully. That there are rewards for those who are faithful in Christ's kingdom. It's not wages. It's not payback. It's nothing we deserve. And so the, even the rewards that we get are gifts, but there are rewards in Christ's kingdom for faithfulness. And so the foundation of the church is Christ and him crucified, the truth of the gospel. And dare we build with anything less, with, with the flammable materials of our own personalities or of human technique or organizational strategies or of our own raw power or influence or money. These may produce results in the short term, uh, but in the end, they will not last. So because the foundation of the building is Jesus Christ, we need to build the church for permanence. 
Our goal is to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples. Building with that which will last. The riches of the gospel in, in God's word. Faith tested by the trials of life. More precious than gold. The fellowship of believers together. All the gifts of the body working together. These are the costly materials. And the thing with costly materials is they take time to acquire, but they will last. The foundation of the church is Christ, so build the church for permanence. Secondly, let's look at the resident of the building. The resident of this building is the Spirit. We see that in verses uh, 16 and 17. Paul begins by getting their attention, asking a rhetorical question. Uh, the, the answer he is expecting is clearly yes. Do you not know? It's actually a technique Paul uses 10 times in 1 Corinthians. This is the first time. He's, he's scolding them a bit. He's giving them a wake-up wake call here in verse 16. Do you not know? Surely you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you. In other words, you should know this. You are God's temple. And, and Paul, the word he, he picks for temple here is very specific. He doesn't pick the general word for temple. He chooses a very specific word for temple that could also be translated sanctuary. Uh, the very holy of holies. You are the place where the deity dwells. God is living inside of you specifically by his spirit. Yes, as individual believers, as you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. But, but God is building you together into his church, into the place in which the Spirit dwells corporately among you. And God's manifest presence is made known. And so Paul defines exactly what type of structure he's, God is building here. It is a temple. Remember the temple in Jerusalem. Remember the temple that we read about in the Old Testament. It was a picture of God dwelling in the midst of his people. It was the place, as it were, where, where heaven met earth. It's the place where, where people could be reconciled to a holy God. It's the place in the Old Testament where, where the Shekinah glory, this, this, this cloud that was actually a physical manifestation of God, dwelt in the midst of his people. And Jesus came. And he fulfilled all the purposes of the temple. By giving himself up as a sacrifice for sins, he became the final blood sacrifices. All those sacrifices that were made year after year and day after day at the temple. Jesus came and he was the final sacrifice. His blood sufficient to pay for the sins of, of the world. Not only was he the final sacrifice, the writer of the Hebrews tells us he was also our true high priest. The sacrifice, he was the one who brought the sacrifice. And so he was our true and is our true high priest. Our go-between, our mediator, the one who makes possible the reconciliation of, of sinful people to a, to a holy God. Who makes it, makes it possible for us to live in God's presence. Jesus took on that mediating role 
of the temple. And in so doing, he became the true place of worship and he became the true object of our worship. And so no longer does God have a physical house or temple to dwell in. He has a spiritual house and it is his people gathered. Paul wrote to the Ephesians saying, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are God's fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, here it is, grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul, again, picking up on this theme that he started here in 1 Corinthians, believers are like the blocks of the temple being built together, and the resident of the temple is God through his Holy Spirit. And verse 17 tells us that God is really serious about building his house his way. So much so that if one would do damage to the house of God, to the people of God, God will destroy that person. And so as God's temple, as, as his holy people, that's what the word saints mean. The word saint isn't just for the, the, the really holy people who get statues and buildings named after them. No, saints are all of God's people, the holy ones. We're called to live out our identity. God said in, to his people in the Old Testament, and he said it again in the New Testament, be holy, for I am holy. We've been set apart. We've been sanctified. And we're called to live that way. And so, because the resident of the building is the Holy Spirit, we are called to live as the church with purity, with holiness. One of the mind-boggling <clears throat> mind aspects of Christianity is that we're not saved because we are holy, but we're saved in order to be holy, in order to become holy. And think about that. In every other type of religion or religious system, it is required of people to perform, to do something, to in a sense be holy, however that is defined, in order to earn points or earn favor with, with God or some deity. But biblical Christianity recognizes that we are not holy and that God saved us completely of his free grace. And that now, because we belong to him through Christ, who, who lived a holy and righteous life in our place, because we are trusting in him and the redemption that is ours through his blood, we now belong to God as his adopted children. And his desire for us is to be more like Christ to grow in holiness. And he empowers us by, by filling us with his Holy Spirit to do just that. And so the pursuit of holiness is not, not a drudgery. The pursuit of holiness is our joyful, and it's our joyful response. It's our delight. And holiness matters to God. 
We are his holy temple, his dwelling place, set in the midst of the world. Kishwaukee Bible Church, we are set in the midst of our world, in the midst of, of DeKalb County and the surrounding communities. This church body is, is meant to be the place, as it were, where, where heaven and earth meet for people, through whom people can be reconciled, where they can meet the great high priest who was the final sacrifice. That's our call as a church body to represent the new kingdom on earth, to represent the true kingdom, to be God's holy people. Our calling is to be God's true house, the place where his spirit dwells. Our holiness is not a matter of gaining pride in our accomplishments, even our spiritual accomplishments. But our holiness is meant to benefit our neighbor. Our growth in holiness, our growth in purity, is meant to be a representation of God's new kingdom. To show people what God can do in people for his glory. To give them a taste of this new and coming kingdom of Jesus the Messiah. Well, finally, we learn something about the owner of the building in the last section of this text, verses 18 through 23. The owner of the building is God himself, God the Father. Paul's third and, and final warning here, which, which gives us a third truth about the church, brings us back to where he started and where he's been uh, for a good part of these first three chapters that he's written. It, it is... And it is the critique of the Corinthian church that began in chapter 1 at verse 10. And the whole, the whole contrast between, between human wisdom, which is really foolishness, and God's foolishness, which is true, authentic wisdom, which we understand through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 18, Paul makes it clear that to place uh, one's confidence in earthbound, in earthbound wisdom is self-deception. Let no one be deceived. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may really become wise. To think that we can build God's church by means of our own human power, our, our personality, our charisma, our intelligence, our money, our strategies is delusional. It, it's, it's earthbound wisdom. And Paul grounds this critique in two Old Testament scriptures. First, uh, from Job. In verse, uh, in verse 19, he, he quotes Job. The Lord, uh, sorry, he catches, the Lord catches the wise in their craftiness. Which is kind of interesting because, you know, if you're going to be crafty, if you're going to be wily, if you're going to be sneaky, sort of rule number one is don't get caught. And Paul got, says, you know, God catches the people who really think they're crafty in, their, in this world and, and wise and wily in their craftiness. He knows all things. He certainly knows what's going on between your ears. 
And then Paul's second critique comes from uh, Psalm 94 uh, right after that. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Literally, that they are but a breath. Oh, we have these grand ideas. We have these wonderful strategies. We think we can accomplish these things through our own, part, through our own power. But apart from God's power, we're just a breath. Absolutely futile thinking. And Paul again connects the problem with this kind of thinking to, to this world and this age. All of this kind of wisdom, all of this kind of strategizing, all of this kind of putting my confidence in human factors, that's all part of this age. And this age is passing away because Jesus has come. And you have entered into the new age of Messiah. You are now his. And you don't, even though you're living in this present age, you're a resident, you're a participant in the age to come. And so leave those values behind. Embrace the values of Messiah in his kingdom, the values that will last. So don't boast in human beings. Paul says that in verse 22. Let no one boast in human beings. Let no one boast in what people can do. The believers in Corinth like to brag. We had noted this several times. They, they like to say, I am of Paul, or I am Paul's, or, or I am Apollos's. Notice how Paul says, you have got that absolutely backwards. It is, is, it is completely the opposite. They like to say, I am of Paul's, I am of Apollos. And Paul says, no, no, they are yours. These heroes, these Christian heroes that you have, they belong to you. Paul had already said in chapter 3, verse 5, that, that these guys, including himself, are merely servants. We're, we're like the, the busboy who's, who's grabbing the dish off your plate, or the plate off your, your table. We're just here to, to take care of your most basic needs. We are your servants. We belong to you. As, along with everything else. So whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And so don't boast in these things. Don't put your confidence in them. Place your confidence in the true wisdom of the gospel, God's wisdom. He is the owner of the building. And so rest confidently in that which is praiseworthy, that which is worthy to boast in. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in this. Boast in the Lord. You belong to Jesus, and the Son belongs to the Father. And the Father is bringing all things, all things, uniting them all under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so through Jesus, all things are yours. The world is yours through Jesus. He told you, I have said these things that you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Life is yours through Jesus. And this is the testimony, John, 1 John 5, 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in his son. 
Death is yours through Jesus. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The present is yours through Jesus. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation in his blood, a, 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 a wrath-satisfying sacrifice to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that Jesus might be, so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. To be justified, to be righteous now in the present. And all things, the future is yours through Jesus. The future is yours through Jesus. For the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, always for all of eternity, be with the Lord. And so why should we boast? Why should we put our confidence in anything else? This is where our confidence rests. It rests in Jesus and all that he has accomplished, all that he is carrying out in the Father's wise plan of redemption and the restoration of all things. It's God's plan. He owns the house. And so we can rest confidently in him and all that he has done and all that he will do in Christ. The foundation of the church is Jesus. So friends, we're called to build the church for permanence. The resident of this house, the local church, is the spirit. And so we're called to live as God's holy people with purity. The owner of this house is God himself. And so we are called to rest confidently in what is praiseworthy in all that Jesus has accomplished for us. This is what we're called to, as his people, gathered together in the local body here. Who is sufficient for these things? How can we do this? With the world's values of consumerism and materialism and individualisms and all kinds of isms coming at us. And we're constantly tempted to, to take shortcuts in the church. We're constantly tempted to live like the rest of the world, to, to quench the Spirit's work, uh, to place our confidence in other resources. How can we do this? The answer is we can't. We can't do this. But God absolutely intends to do this through us. His spirit dwelling among his people. Us trusting in the power of the cross, in Jesus Christ and him crucified. God's building his church. It's an impossible task for us to do on our own strength. We are helpless, and we've become aware of our need. But that's exactly where God wants us to be. 
right where Paul was at the beginning of this passage, trusting in the grace that God had given him. Not trusting in our own resources, but dependent upon God's grace. All things are ours in Christ. And Christ will build his church. And we have the joy of joining him in that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise this morning for the wisdom of how you have built your church and how you are building your church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And Lord, pray, we pray that you would give us the grace and you would give us the, um, the faith to build this church for permanence. And Holy Spirit, we are grateful for your presence among us. And we pray that you would transform us more and more into the image of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might truly live as your holy people for the benefit of our neighbor. And God, we take great confidence, not in our own resources, but in the fact that you are the owner of this church and of every church. And so help us to rest confidently in that which is praiseworthy. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot